Welcome to the Restore Church Sermons podcast. We're so glad you joined us here today. We hope that through this message, you are encouraged, challenged, and strengthened. If you want to know more about Jesus, Restore Church, or have any questions, please head to restorechurch.com.au. Amen. Thank you, Gift. Thank you, everyone. Um, You might have noticed we weren't here last week, um, but I did watch the service as we were driving down to Wollongong. No, I wasn't driving. Um, Heather was driving, I was watching. And didn't the uh, young people do a great job? Yeah, just an awesome job. So The future looks quite, quite bright with kids like that coming through. Oh, kids, ad- young adults. <laughs> Showing my age now, aren't I? Okay, all right, bit, bit old. Um, if you follow the liturgical calendar. Who follows the liturgical calendar? One person. (laughs) I knew it was that type of question. In some churches, this is what you do. You follow a liturgical calendar and there are readings set for every day. If you follow a liturgical calendar, as of November the 29th, we are in what is known as the the seasonal period of Advent. Who's heard of Advent? Okay, not, it's not just about the calendars with the chocolates in it and, and whatever, okay, it's a, it's, a real, it's a real thing, okay. Advent literally means coming and the period leading up to it is meant to be a time where we, we focus on our longings and our hopes and our expectations. And I know we're not a liturgical church, but if you have a look at the calendar and you look at the readings for the days during the course of Advent, you'll see in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that there are all readings about longing and hope and expectation. And uh, so you've got the Old Testament where the people of Israel are crying out to God and looking for their deliverance. And then after the coming of Jesus, you've got the early church, even Paul in particular, and that all talking about looking forward to the day where Jesus was going to return. And to be honest, they kind of thought it was imminent. They, They thought it may have even happened in their lifetime that's going to take a bit of patience because it's 2,000 years later and we're still waiting. But, but there are all these verses about people longing and waiting. And so this morning I thought I'd talk about waiting and how waiting is hard. Waiting is hard, but, but hope can make all the difference in the waiting. Now, it's a common theme in the Bible waiting. I mean, you could pretty much open up the Bible at any page, land your finger, and you'll find a story about someone waiting for something, okay? There's lots and lots and lots of this going on in the Bible. There's these big meta-stories, like I said, like Israel, who are constantly crying out for God to come and rescue them and to redeem them from the trouble they've got themselves into, looking forward to that day where God was going to finally sort everything out for them and put them where they needed to be. And then again in the New Testament, again, you know, a a church that's born in the middle of um, not the best environment, a lot of persecution, a lot of trouble, and they too are are longing and crying out for for the return of Jesus to come and put the world to rights once and for all. Um, And it's not hard in one sense, for us to relate to that, um, especially given 2020, you know what I mean? When when we look at the state of the world and the stuff that's going on, there there should be intuitively or instinctively within those of us who, who are followers of Jesus, this kind of desire for God to come back and finally restore this creation, you know? I mean, the Bible even talks, but Paul even talks about it in Romans here, creation itself is groaning 
okay, groaning with expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. There is this heaving within, within the fabric of, of all of creation that is just longing for restoration. So it's not hard for us to relate to that, especially when we see the wars and famines and uh, pandemics and all of this stuff going on. This is not the way the world is meant to be. It's not the way the world is meant to be and, and we should be hoping and longing for a day when it will no longer be like that because guess what? One day it will no longer be like that. You know that, don't you? One day it will no longer be like that. There'll be no more crying, no more tears. Everything will be exactly as it should. So we have these big meta stories but then we have these very particular stories of individuals who are waiting in their own unique circumstances and situations for God to intervene. You know, you've got Abram and Sarah and, and they're waiting for this baby to come along that they've been promised and it, it doesn't come along anywhere near quickly enough. And Joseph, who's given a dream but then ends up thrown into a pit and enslaved and imprisoned for a number of years um, before that dream even starts to materialise. And Moses, you know, God tells him that he's going to be a deliverer and 40 years he spends looking after sheep in the desert, um, 40 years. And then, and then, he spends 40 years wandering in the desert. You know, there's 80 years of waiting in that man's life alone. David ends up having to wait about seven or eight years to become king from the day that, that Samuel anoints him, but spends most of that time on the run from Saul, who's trying to kill him. And then when you get into the New Testament, you find these characters, Simeon and Anna, who, who are day in, day out, waiting and hoping and praying and fasting for God to send the Messiah. They're just waiting, waiting, waiting all the time. We don't know how long they were waiting, but it appears they were aged and they've been their whole life. And I ask myself sometimes, why can't God be like Amazon Prime? You know? Why can't we just push a button one day and have our answer the next? I mean, it is, after, it is 2020 after all, yeah? Why doesn't God get with the program? I don't like waiting. You ever had to wait for something? Anyone currently waiting for something? But, but there's waiting and there's waiting, right? You know? Some things are not urgent and, and other things are. I mean, it, it doesn't matter whether I get my iconic order the next day. But, but that job that I need to feed my family, well, there's, there's an urgency about that. And some things are not so important and yet other things... I mean, they're, they're really important, aren't they? They're, they're, they're the, the substantial things of life. They're the, they're the big things of life. Um, and it'd be really easy to, for us to be philosophical or Mr. Super Christian when you're not the one who's actually doing the waiting for something substantial. And it's very easy for us in hindsight to look back and go, oh, of course I can see now why God took his time. You know, the timing was critical and if that hadn't happened... Have everyone been in that situation? Okay, where we look back and we go, it makes perfect sense. It, it always does when you're looking at the beginning from the end. But, but when you're at the beginning, you're in the middle and you don't even... Well, actually, you don't even know if you're in the middle, do you? You've got nothing to gauge it against. But when you're in the thing itself, it's not so easy to be philosophical and faith-filled, is it, at times? And these are the stories that we use for Sunday sermons, but, but we need to remember these were people's lives, their real lives. And they didn't know they were in the Bible. Right? They didn't know they were in the Bible. They didn't know the end from the beginning. They didn't know how it was going to work out. They didn't have the benefit of a time traveller going back going, stop freaking out. I can tell you how your story goes. Look, it's all written down here. 
When you do read it, we get to see how they struggle with waiting in real time. And there's tantrums, and there's doubts, and there's fears, and there's, there's some really shonky behaviour going on. And these are the heroes of the faith, I might add. And I might also add that we're getting the edited version, you know? We're not, we're not hearing, Abraham, kick the cat. <laughs> we're not getting that. But I bet you there was more than a few... Did they have cats? <laughs> yeah, they did. The Egyptians were into cats. Yeah, okay. All right, so they had cats. So I bet there was more than a few cats being kicked around this time. I'm not advocating cat kicking <laughs> at all. Uh, restore church policy on cat kicking is yet. Okay, don't do it. But I'm sure there was lots of times where these people, you, just, you know, we see them. We see them trying to make the thing happen themselves. We see them lie and cheat. We see them do all sorts of things. They're very much human, just like us. You know, very much human, just like us. And I know sometimes when I've read the Bible. I read these stories and sometimes I, I find myself going, I don't know why you're freaking out because you know it's going to work out. And again, that's the point. They don't know that it's going to work out. They don't know how it's going to work out. Waiting can be hard and, and no one is exempt from the tension. So I just want to ground this particular idea in a story in Matthew, Matthew 11 actually. It's got nothing to do with Christmas. Um, and that's okay. But... But the reason I chose this story is because of the person that it involves to show that even, I don't know, even the most certain people can get wobbly while they have to wait. And it's in Matthew 11, chapter 1 to 6, and it says this. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on, there, went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now, the last person you would ever expect to be asking Jesus if he, in fact, was the Messiah would be his cousin John, right? And there's a reason for that. We're told that in his mother's womb, John leapt for joy when Mary turned up carrying Jesus. At six months in utero, he leapt for joy because he knew Jesus was in the room. Okay? He was the one to baptise Jesus. And when Jesus came to get baptised by him, John said, I shouldn't be baptising you, you should be baptising me. But Jesus insisted and he baptises him. And when he baptises Jesus, it says the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. And then a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And John was standing in the water when that happened, right? And then another time, John is off in the countryside baptising as he was doing. And Jesus came by and he stopped and he pointed at him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So you get the point? Is John certain about who Jesus is? Yeah? He's 100% certain who Jesus is. But now he's asking, are you really the one we should be expecting or should we be expecting someone else? Well, what changed? Simple. 
the thing that has the potential to change all our certainties into doubts, our circumstances. When John, who was in prison, you know, it's one thing to be pointing to Jesus out in the countryside when you're having a successful ministry. It's another thing when you're rotting in a dungeon. And it wasn't a blip either. John had been in jail about a year by this, by this stage. And he'd been there a year and he had been hearing about what Jesus had been doing out there. It says, when John, who was in prison, heard what Jesus was doing, this was the thing that precipitated him to ask the question. While he was in prison, when he was hearing what Jesus was doing, he decided he needed to go and ask Jesus this question. Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Have I actually got this right? See, John was hearing that Jesus was setting the captives free, but the problem was John wasn't being set free. John was still in prison. John was hearing about all this deliverance that was going on, but John himself was not experiencing any deliverance, was he? He was in prison, hearing about what Jesus was doing. And that's the danger when we only get to hear stories. You know, other people's stories and other people's testimonies can be a double-edged sword to us. On the one hand, they can be totally encouraging and inspiring to the point that we go, if God can do it for them, God can do it for me, yeah? You ever had that response when you hear a story? Oh man, if God can do that, he can do it for me. And there's a sense in which we're meant to share our stories as a way of encouraging one another to keep believing and trusting and hoping. But on the other hand, they can be a little bit discouraging and deflating. Because sometimes it's, well, God did it for them. Why hasn't he done it for me? Have you ever been there? Someone stands, and you're happy for them, kind (laughs) of. You want to be happy for them, don't you? You want to be happy for them. You want to take a step back from it and go, I'm genuinely happy that God came through for you. But inside... Your heart's breaking because it's like, then, but why not me? Why is that not my story? Just because God hasn't done something doesn't mean he's not going to do something. We need to remember that. Timing is sometimes a very important piece. Well, I often say this, timing is everything. I think timing is everything. So don't assume that just because God hasn't yet, it doesn't mean that he won't ever. But what do you do in the meantime? Well, some people would say to us, that's when we just need to get our faith on, you know. We need to start making those mountains move. And there are times where, yeah, you know what, that may be the most appropriate thing that we need to do. We may need to step it up a little bit. We may need to hassle God until he relents. I mean, Jesus tells stories about that, doesn't he? about people knocking on doors at midnight and a widow who's demanding justice. And the whole point of those things is these are people who are just not going to take no for an answer. And they don't care the inconvenience that they're causing God. Does God get caused inconvenience? I don't know. We can, um, I'll leave that next week. That's the sermon. Um, I'm going to ask J- Jacob to preach on that one. Um, but, but the principle is that, that these people, they just, they just barge into to God's presence and say, this is what I want. And I'm not leaving until I get what I want. And you know what? There are times when it's appropriate to do that. But what, do we, what if we do that? What if we do get our faith on and the mountains still don't comply? What, what, if it does, what if it doesn't matter how much you pray, how much you fast, how much you believe, how many times you go banging on God's door in the middle of the night? What if those mountains just won't get into the sea? What if you stay in prison? What do we do then? Well, Jesus' response to John's question 
Are you the one who was to come? Was just to reiterate what John already knew. He said, go and tell John what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. But then he adds this really odd thing, blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. So you think to yourself, why would Jesus say that? Why would, why would Jesus say to John, all this great stuff's going on, John, so, but, but you'll be blessed if you don't stumble over that and you don't fall away over that. Why would John fall away because Jesus was doing all this great stuff? Well, simply because all that great stuff wasn't happening for John, was it? When he heard what Jesus was doing for everyone else, the first thought in his mind was, have I put all my eggs in the wrong basket? Is this really the guy? The guy who was so certain before his birth, right up until the high point of his ministry, because of his circumstances, was now going, I hear what you're doing for everyone else, but I still find myself in this dungeon, and so I'm just a little bit confused. It's not always easy to stay the course when you don't get the answer you want. At times it can actually be a little bit devastating and there is a very strong temptation on our behalf sometimes to just walk away from the whole lot because it's appealing. It's the simplest way of dealing with it. If you can just go, hey, it's all rubbish and I don't need to deal with that anymore. It's a lot easier than staying because when you stay, you have to stay in the tension of knowing that God can do a thing but he still hasn't. Who finds that hard? knowing that God can do a thing. He's doing a thing. He's doing a thing for that person and he's, he's doing a thing for that person and he's doing a thing over there, but, but I'm still in prison. He's not doing it for me. There seems to be this underlying assumption in John's question. If Jesus really was the Messiah, then I would not still be in prison. In a sense, it would have been easier for John if Jesus' answer to John's question, and you the one, had been, I'm not, actually, I'm not. Because at least it would have made sense to John, right? At least it would have made sense to John. Oh, of course, he's not the Messiah, I'm in prison, that makes sense, he can't do anything to get me out. Yeah, true, I've wasted some time, but at least it makes sense of why I'm in prison now. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus laid out his Messiah credentials, and John was left with the reality that he is the one but I'm still in prison and this isn't the way it's supposed to be. So what do you do with that? Over the years of, of, of being in ministry, I've seen and spoken to people who have just given up everything, have turned their back on their faith, they've turned their back on God because the prison door didn't open for them. Or at least not in the time they were hoping the prison door would open, you know what I mean? They waited and they hoped and they went through all the same things that most of us do. You know, they fasted, they prayed, they believed, they proclaimed. You know, they jumped down, turned around, picked a bale of cotton, all of that sort of stuff. You know, they, they did everything that they needed to do. They walked around, you know, they built models of Jericho and walked around it seven times and blew trumpets. And, you know, they've, they've done everything and nothing's ever changed. And, and so in the end they've gone, then the whole thing just must be rubbish. And I don't judge these people because I did that myself at one point, you know. When we were burnt out and we'd seen a whole of our dreams just coming, crash and burn, I just decided it was better not to track with God because the tension of hanging in there knowing God could have done some things but didn't was too much for me to bear at the time. 
Now, I did come back, as is evident by me standing here today. Um, but it doesn't mean that I don't still struggle with that from, from time to time. See, it's really easy for us to trip and fall over our own expectations and get cranky at God for not meeting them. And we've got our own set of assumptions that are built into the way we see things working. Now, we can throw in the towel when that happens, but, but Jesus actually says, blessed is the one who does not fall away. Blessed is the one who does not fall away. Blessed is the one, that word is actually, um, it's the Greek word from which we get our word scandal. It's, it, it's something you actually trip over or stumble over. Jesus says, blessed is a person that doesn't trip over the fact that things haven't happened the way you wanted them to happen or in the time that you wanted them to happen. Blessed is the person. There's a blessing, he says, in staying put. So what's the blessing? Well, I think it has to be this. I think it has to be that that's where we, we actually get to find hope, right? And here's the rub with hope. Hope can only be found in the waiting. Hope can only be found in the absence of the thing we're after, yes? I mean, Paul says this, who hopes for what he already has? Okay, who hopes already has? Hope that is seen is no hope at all. You know, that's, that's what Paul says. So we, we talk about hope, but the only way to find hope is actually to be present in the waiting. I wish you could just download it. I wish you could just buy it. I wish, I wish it would work through osmosis where I can sit next to someone who's got hope and just let it seep into me. But it seems to be that the, that the way this works is you only get hope by having to wait. And it's in the waiting that you can find hope. Now, nothing may change, but here's the thing about hope. Hope always makes room for possibilities. Hope always ultimately trusts in God's promises. Hope tells us that a delay is not always a denial and just because it's not today, it doesn't mean it might not be tomorrow. That's what hope tells us. Yeah, it, did, it hasn't happened for me yet. But hope tells me that the possibility is that it still can. But we also have to be realistic sometimes too and recognise that, you know what, we don't always get what we want. And no, I'm not going to quote the Rolling Stones, okay? I did that with someone the other day, but, okay. Sometimes we can't always get what we want. Even the truly important, substantial, life-altering things, sometimes we just don't get them. And that's where hope tells us to trust in the promises of God. That even though we don't see it now, one day all will be as it should. That's the hope we have, you know, that sets us apart from everyone else. We are people of hope. Not, that, not in the sense that we always believe what we'll get, but we, we believe that one day, one day, all will be well. That's what we believe. And this hope isn't just naive optimism or delusion. It's entirely grounded and justifiable. The origin of hope is the God of hope. The reason for hope is Jesus. The source of hope is the Holy Spirit in us. This isn't wishful thinking, okay? This is rooted in what God has done for us, is doing in us, and we know one day will do for us. See, hope doesn't change our circumstances, but you know what? Hope changes us. 
And that's the distinction I like to make. You don't want to analyse this too carefully because it doesn't quite stand up and I'm admitting that up front. But, but faith tends to be that thing that's, a, that's about changing our circumstances in the present, you know? It is more than that, trust me, it is. But, but there's a large emphasis on faith being that thing that changes our emphasis in the present. Whereas hope, hope is the emphasis on changing us and not our circumstances. You know, there's a reason why I say that. It lifts us out of the rubble of our failures. It lifts us out of our pain. It lifts us above our fear and to rise above all these things that we think are surmountable. It gives us the ability to endure and to persevere and to ultimately overcome. Only hope can do that. But it's not something that materialises out of nowhere. Like I say, I wish I could just... I could just download it or sit next to someone and have it or smoke, but that's not how it works. Paul prays this prayer. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking about trusting God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Well, when it comes to hope, we need to trust that God will, not, will give to us a thing that we do not automatically possess in ourselves. But there is a, 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 there is a thing that we have to do in order to get it. We have to choose to trust. I mean, how many of us want the peace and we want the joy and then we'll trust? It doesn't work like that. It's trust as you trust in him you will be filled with hope and with joy and with peace. It is a choice in the moment and in an ongoing way. It doesn't change our circumstances, but it changes us. You know, we're meant to be the most intriguing people on the face of the earth. Paul said this. Paul said to Timothy, be prepared in season and out of season to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Again, the assumption there is that people are going to ask, why are you so hopeful in a world like this? When was the last time you were asked that question? When was the last time someone came up to you and said, like, are you on drugs? Are you all there? What is going on with you? Oh, me, why? Because I'm not phased and I'm... I'm confident of good things. Oh, that's hope. Can I tell you where I get that hope from? And again, I'm not being delusional. This stuff is grounded in reality. This stuff is grounded in the God of hope, who is the source of hope. Things are not as they should be, but I know one day they will be. I know. I know. Always be prepared, in season and out of season, to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Jesus said, Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. See, John, you're in prison. You can throw in the towel. Or you can have hope. Realise that your life hasn't been wasted and see the fulfilment of your hope at some point, that won't necessarily, well, we know in his case, it didn't end with the opening of a prison door to release him into freedom, did it? 
It ended in his death. And what did he find after his death? The fulfillment of his hope. Hope is a powerful thing, but hope is a thing we get by trusting. Waiting with hope is a bit of a lost art in our world. Waiting is a lost art in our world at the moment. Okay? It really is. It really is. We're so acclimatised to getting everything like this that when we face things like pandemics... I mean, I was talking with people, and I myself was probably in this category, wondering after the first month, how long is this going to take? Well, here we are. And we will still be there next year as well. We're so conditioned to just things moving along at a clip. But life, and life with God, will often involve waiting and waiting and waiting. But with hope. Because that's what makes the difference. It, it still allows for the possibilities that things can change. And it reassures us that even if they don't, one day, one day, all will be well. I think I'll finish there. We're going to take communion now. And again, I invite everyone to the table, to come around Jesus' table. And so this morning, if maybe you're in a place where you can really relate to what I've said this morning in the sense that you're waiting for something that has not yet happened... Maybe take this morning to, instead of praying that that thing will happen for now, and I'm not saying give up on praying for that thing, by all means, persist. But that you would choose to trust God and ask him to give you that hope and that peace and that joy in the waiting. Okay? In the waiting, while you still pursue that thing. Amen. Let's go.